0: Welcome to the Roto-World Football Podcast presented by Locker Room App, the only place for live audio conversations about the sports you care about. I am Matt Straub, joined by Pat Darty and Danny Carter. Guys, Super Bowl week is here, and today we are going to not talk about the Super Bowl. (laughs) We do have a big preview show coming up later this week, but today it's a couple of eliminated teams, actually a bunch of eliminated teams. We'll hit the big Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff trade, and look at some possible trade destinations for Deshaun Watson. Now, Guys, having had football in our lives for 20 out of the last 21 weekends, we are soon approaching the great void, obviously. After this Sunday, no football games. No football Sundays for seven months. Now, with you, Pat, and with Daigle, who's not here today, I can at least guess what a free Sunday means. You know, Daigle probably plays a bunch of golf. Pat, you probably add an extra day of FIFA or something. But for you, Danny, when I think about, try to imagine what you will do with a wide open pasture of Sundays, I just see nothing. I can't picture it. I can't guess. So please tell us, tell me, what's it going to be?
1: I have to say that I never thought I'd miss the XFL so much, um, you know, that, that at least was like a come down, you know, from, from NFL action, you play a little XFL DFS, you never know, you know, it, it gets a little, little interesting. So we won't have that this year. And that, that's unfortunate. What do I do on a non football Sunday? This, this is a, a good question. Mostly I tell myself uh, that I'm going to read, you know, the books that I have piled up. And then I, I I proceed to log on to Twitter and spend the whole day doing that. You know that, so that that's pretty much what it, until the weather gets nice, and then I tell myself I'm going to go play golf. I'm going to go you know shoot the basketball, whatever. And then I log on to Twitter and spend all day on Twitter. So you
2: know. still, Matt, are you surprised that Denny publicly cops to the golf? Because it just goes against the rest of his persona and like his meticulous brand building. I guess you could argue the golf is in line with the brand building though. Cause it's like a perfectly great little contrarian play that Denny, <laughs> uh, the man of the people is a huge golfer. Um, but I still, yeah. I'm always, it still takes some getting used to that. Cause like the Wii golf that's in line with Denny's like well-established persona. I feel yeah. like you know a little ironic, but sincere, um, you know, Super not the great. golf you would expect. But now he's also just into real golf.
0: But I feel like Denny's out on the golf course with like a, a polo with like cut-off sleeves or something. You know what I mean? There's a little rebellion in there,
1: maybe. You know, I wear a visor that I've been wearing since <laughs> oh, you know no. the first the first Bush administration. It's so sweat stained that that my wife might leave me over it. That's I guess that's my my biggest form of rebellion. I don't cut the sleeves off. I'm not Gardner Minshew, man. You know, you know. Uh, but yeah, I know, Pat, you're right. Uh, it is an elitist sport. Uh, it is a sport that requires lots of means and access that a lot of people don't have. And I do I feel bad about that? I do. But here's the thing. I feel bad about everything, every part of my life. So <laughs> I wanted to adopt the sport that makes me feel you know, even more guilty.
2: That's a good point. And you give it back to the people. You do have your own golf cart, and it's detailed with Miller Lite. Logos right. and what have yous. Um, so that's how you try to give back to the people. Is the Miller Light? That's that's right.
1: And on every first tee, when I go there by myself and I'm and I'm paired up with someone who's you know waiting for a tea time, I give them a copy of
0: the Communist Manifesto, and then they leave. So you know that's. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good way to avoid. Yeah, if you don't want to be paired up with someone, yeah, that's good. It's a really <laughs> good idea. All right, let's start out our conversation here with some big trade news. We now know the destination for Matthew Stafford post-Detroit, and that destination is Los Angeles. The Rams have acquired Stafford from the Lions for a 2021 third-round pick, a 2022 first-round pick, a 2023 first-round pick, and Jared Goff. What's your initial reaction here, Pat, to this deal?
2: Well, my initial reaction is so we joked at the top of the podcast like how it's Super Bowl week, and we're not going to talk about the Super Bowl— that would normally not be possible, as we know. Like, So the new league year starts in March. Every offseason, there are trades completed, wink, nod completed before the new league year starts. Like, It's just like a normal part of football, but it does not usually happen during Super Bowl week, like this early in the offseason. So like, it is unusual to have something this big to talk about right now. And my initial thoughts are, I mean, crazy deal. So early in Matthew Stafford's career, he had a reputation as someone with durability issues. Then he spent an entire decade proving that wrong. He didn't miss a start for basically all of the teens or whatever we called that decade. You know, we need to make decade names great again, by the way. And thank God we're finally in the 20s. So we have something to call a decade, like actually refer to And people know what you're talking about, the 20s. Uh, so Matthew Stafford is an Iron Man, but he's a week shy of his 33rd birthday. Uh, he missed half of 2019, of course, with a broken back. Uh, He did not miss a game, a start, I should say, in 2020. He missed parts of several starts. At the end of the season, he was listed with thumb, ribs, and ankle issues. Uh, None of those are really, like, injury-prone type issues, though, but just, I guess, maybe something to watch going forward is Matthew Stafford's durability, especially behind a Rams line that could be losing left tackle Andrew Whitworth. They don't want to lose him, but it seems like the money is complicated there, but – I mean, this all boils down to Sean McVay was just tired of managing and manipulating Jared Goff. And part of this this season in 2020 was the weapons they gave Jared Goff. They didn't have, like, downfield options. But what it really boils down to, in 2019, Matthew Stafford's average intended air yards were 10.7, which led the league, was higher even than Jameis Winston, just sky high. And that number for Goff last season was 7.8. Ah, uh, this year the full season for Stafford, Kenny Galladay hurt most of the year that came down to nine, but it was still fifth in the league amongst full-time starters. Uh, Jared Goff was six point five, that was fourth last. So, Sean McVay is just tired of the dinking and dunking. Like he was very creative with it, like creating ways to make Jared Goff like uh, have yak targets and uh, you know kind of like manufacture yards that Jared Goff seemingly isn't capable of doing himself down the field. But Sean McVay is just tired of it. He wants a better downfield passer. Matthew Stafford has always been a good downfield passer. He, he's gotten much more efficient and less turnover prone over the past five or six years, too. And like, there are some red flags with the age and like the recent injury history. But it does seem like, speaking nothing of a trade competition, I've been talking for five minutes straight. So I'll let Denny talk about maybe like the trade <laughs> price and all that. Irregardless um, of that, it seems like a good gamble for the Rams to take.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of perplexed by the. Uh, reaction on, on Twitter. And of course, this is, uh, we have a very insular community. So I understand that that doesn't uh, you know include all reactions. But the reaction seems to be Stafford's not much better than golf. So what's the big deal here? And I think that that's incorrect. I, yes. <laughs> I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it is a massive upgrade for the Rams. I, I don't really understand why people don't agree with that. But you know, you look at the the downfield portion the, that that Pat was referencing, and the uh, ability to open up the offense. So on uh, on throws of twenty plus yards uh, over the past two years, Stafford has a PFF passing grade of ninety three. Uh, that is much higher than Golf's PFF passing grade of seventy seven on those same passes. You just look down the the list of uh, touchdowns thrown, yardage compiled in the, on those 20 plus yard throws and Stafford has a major edge on all of those. Uh, once upon a time, uh, you know, a guy like Robert Woods was, was not just a, a guy who's going to catch a four yard out route and hopefully turn it into a first down. You know, I'm old enough to remember when Robert Woods caught downfield passes, you know, I am, I'm, I am 68 years old, but, uh, you know, and, and I think we, we could see that return for a guy like Robert Woods and, Perhaps you know Van Jefferson, depending on uh, whether Josh Reynolds, you know, re-signs with the team. You know, I, I, I left out Cooper Cup there because you know, typically we're not going to see him as a perimeter threat, and he's going to stay there in the slot. But you have to remember that Golden Tate was was the uh, slot guy for Detroit uh, during some of Stafford's best you know runs in Detroit. And he was catching downfield passes and putting up tons of fantasy points and really became, you know, a guy who you could just plug in very confidently into your lineup. Now, that's kind of unimaginable now with Golden Tate as a giant. But at the time, uh, as Stafford slot receiver, he was money. And I think all all these guys stand to benefit tremendously. I do think that this will be, all this, what I'm saying, is will be baked into their ADPs this year. I don't think we're going to get by on a deal for Cooper Cup or, or Robert Woods. But, you know, the the idea that this is not all that much better for them is strange to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You hit on so many important points there. And basically, the first year or two of the golf era, they were able to attack teams at every level of the field. And, and part of that is Sean McVay's own fault. I mean, he's the one who gave up on Brandon Cooks. So, Sean McVay, by the way, I mean, maybe Sean McVay needs to like, pick something and stick with it because we've now given up on a receiver and uh, Brandon Cooks, a running back and Todd Gurley, which is understandable, and a quarterback and Jerry Goff, which is also understandable. But maybe uh, – so they're doing great at retooling on the fly, maybe more of a two- to three-year plan for the Rams. But at the beginning of this, they could attack down the field. They were, of course, great in the short areas of the field. They were, of course, great with a sophisticated running game. And, like, this, none of that was, like, really clicking the way he needed to he needed it to in 2020. So, this is definitely a movement from Sean McVay to get back to like an all fields attack. And it's any highlight. I mean, Matthew Stafford is really an upgrade uh, at every everything when it comes to quarterbacking over Jericho. Okay. And Matthew Stafford's one of those classic. He's really overrated by some people and he's still really underrated by some people. He's just a really solid top 10 or 12 quarterback. And like we know that we have like over a decade now knowing that Matthew Stafford is on the periphery of the top 10. And we have a half decade of just knowing that uh, Jared Goff is not that. He's like right on that cutoff of like top 16, top 17. Like He's probably a bottom half of the league quarterback. He's too good to be a backup, but he's not good enough to be like a consistent playoff starter. A very aggressive move. The Rams keep mortgaging the future. But yeah, when it comes to just the pure football fit, I think Denny did a good job of laying out just why this is like a huge upgrade and a no-brainer for the Rams.
0: What you guys hit on how much of an upgrade this is potentially for you know Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, the Rams receivers. Let's look at Stafford and what this means for him just in terms of fantasy. He was pretty much a middle of the road quarterback last season in terms of fantasy points: four thousand eighty-four yards, twenty-six touchdowns, ten interceptions. He's about to turn thirty-three in less than a week. Uh, Denny, how much confidence do you have that? Stafford being now coached by Sean McVay could maybe unlock some late career fantasy ceiling here, maybe take him up a notch from those numbers that we saw last season.
2: Yeah,
1: I guess when someone says, uh, you know, Stafford looks like a a bottom tier quarterback 1, you know, a low end quarterback 1. I mean, we can say that about like almost anybody at this point and it and it kind of just doesn't doesn't matter for fantasy purposes. I mean, if you if you're talking about, you know, traditional one quarterback leagues, I think uh, worst case scenario in 2021, I think Stafford is like a solid streaming option who's widely available in most leagues and and you pick up in favorable matchups. Best case scenario, I think, you know, you pick them up for maybe an early season matchup and then uh, you stick with them as a guy who has a, a really solid weekly floor. You know, I think that that's what we'll see in that offense. I, I do kind of look forward to the narrative that the the Rams' defense being good is going to be bad for Stafford. I don't think that that will be the case. You know, I think that uh, the Rams' defense being good will be good for Stafford and will give him lots of uh, neutral and positive script with which to work. I know that there's this uh, sense, even this was established many years ago during the the Calvin Johnson era in, in Detroit. Uh, there's this sense that Stafford is nothing but a a stat pattern. Okay, a guy who Is going to throw for 400 empty yards and and two touchdowns um, and is a fantasy guy, you know, and and that works for fantasy, but is is not really going to do that on a regular basis. But if you, I think if you put him on a good team with good skill position players like the Rams have, uh, and you give him lots of positive script to work with, I think that you, I think we're going to be surprised as a fantasy community uh, with Stafford next year.
2: Danny, I'm going to build on your your preemptive galaxy brain take. Uh, not your galaxy brain take. Talking about the galaxy brain take that's going to exist, that yeah. the good defense might hurt him. I might say it. he's also basically never played with a good rushing attack. Yeah. And that might make him better in real life, but I could see it you know, lowering the fantasy ceiling. And I almost think counterintuitively he's going to be less hyped in fantasy this year than he was last year, even though he's going with Sean McVay. Because last year, I mean, Denny, you weren't a party to this like Hayden Winks, John Diggle, and I were all like really into like Stafford as like a life hack, like QB eight to 12 range after his deep throwing in the first half yeah. of the 2019 season and almost playing like a dark horse MVP in the first half of the 2019 season. We were all really into him as the fantasy life hack, and that didn't happen. And if, unless, yeah, if the Rams like don't add like a downfield weapons, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like perceived like more as a streamer, like someone who's, a real life place is probably going to get even better, but it might not translate to fan. And I wouldn't be shocked if like the summer consensus settled on him being a streamer more than like a legit QB one, but you know, it is fan. It could go either way. I could see also like yeah. a runaway market, like it's with Sean McVay. Now he's like the QB seven. But I think my initial take is that he will be less hyped in fantasy this year than he was last year.
1: Speaking of the Rams running game, I I did want to mention that Cam Akers, you know, with Jared Goff under center last year, he had, you know, a great run to end the season, despite seeing the second most uh, stacked boxes. 52% of the time he saw stacked boxes in 2020, and he still excelled, you know, with that environment. Uh, I would guess that teams will be uh, a little more hesitant to stack the box with Stafford under center. I guess I could be wrong, but that's my guess. And it, it can't be bad for a guy like Cam Akers.
0: You know, Pat, you said a minute ago that Matthew Stafford never played with a good rushing attack. How dare you talk about Joyke Bell that way? That's, <laughs> of course. I mean, that, I is know, not, that is not right. Joyke
2: is a legend. Uh, we'll have to edit that part out. Yeah, because Joyke... Uh, and we probably just need a segment only on Joyke.
0: I was going to go the Kevin Jones direction with that, but I realized that he and Stafford missed each other by a year.
1: Oh, so. my gosh, Kevin Jones. I... I... I've never that. been more tilted than when I had to start Kevin Jones in a, in a lineup. And especially like on, on like an Island game, like a thanks, I feel like every Thanksgiving I had, I had to have Kevin oh. Jones in my lineup and, <laughs> yeah. you, and at any time he played the whole game, he was, you know, 150 yards and two touchdowns. But yeah, you know, that was a, that was a long shot for, for him to play more than 11 snaps. So every time he'd get tackled, you know, you would be hiding under the uh, Thanksgiving table, praying that he's okay.
2: When when Hayden Winks listens back to this podcast, by the way, he's gonna be typing Kevin Jones pro football reference, <laughs> and he'll be pulling up like a non-running back Kevin Jones. Like, why are they talking about linebacker Kevin Jones who played for the Houston Oilers?
0: His mind is gonna be blown when he sees that 1,100 yard season in 2004. Whew, what a treat he's in for. <laughs> uh, what about this from the Detroit side of things, guys? Now. There's a lot of different directions we could or couldn't go here, and maybe we should go none of them, but let's go a couple of these directions. Uh, you guys were saying last week that you think Kenny Galladay could get franchise tagged. Now he's in Detroit, presumably, possibly. We assume he doesn't want to be there and goes from Matthew Stafford to Jared Goff throwing to him. This seems like a recipe for an absolute disaster. Am I am I reading too much into this, Pat?
2: No, uh, you're not. Uh, my new feel, and this is not, I haven't seen any reporting to this effect, is that, Kenny Galladay will be tagged and then traded. He doesn't have a whole lot of leverage if the Lions want to tag him and keep him and, like, give Jared Goff something to play with in 2021 so they're not just, like, totally dismal. But, yeah, I mean, we don't know what was going on with Kenny Galladay last year, but it certainly seemed like someone who maybe for a better team and a season that wasn't lost might have come back to play at the end of the year, but there was no reason for him or the Lions to push it with his injury – and it certainly seems like someone like Matthew Stafford uh, did, who gave it his lion's all, but now wants to go to a much better organization uh, while he still got some football prime left. But my initial feel is that he will be franchise tagged and then traded. But I am quite literally just like making that up.
1: <laughs> you, you can only get that that sort of fictional uh, take here, you know, on this on this podcast, this fan fiction. I, mean, I think that that's a possibility. I also think that if the Lions say no, we are not letting you go. We're tagging you. You're playing this year, and if he concedes and says fine, he will play. Then I could see, honestly, I could see his ADP dropping so far that he becomes like a galaxy brain special for for someone like me who who, over, <laughs> who overthinks everything. I, you know, in fantasy, uh, I didn't mean to get into these overarching lessons, but. Everybody is a value at some point, right? And so we're not going to see Galladay go where he usually would go if, if Stafford was under center. But he, he could honestly drop so far that you're just like, why not? Why not take Kenny Galladay as my wide receiver five? You know, I mean, why not? And that team could face enough, you know, bad scripts for where, you know, golf is throwing 30, 40 times a game. It could work out is all I'm saying.
2: And also Marvin Jones, a free agent. So, yeah, it'll be uh, very – Jared Goff could uh, – they might have to franchise and keep Kenny Galladay basically because even if they're like tanking and rebuilding, you don't want to have an offense with no weapons whatsoever. And, you know, their top two receivers are free agents right now.
0: Seems like a recipe for possibly a lot of catches for TJ Hawkinson this upcoming season.
2: (laughs) Hey, Jared Goff made Tyler Higby the best player on planet Earth for one four-game span, so it's... It's it's actually... I, yeah, I, I
1: actually like that take, and I, for some reason I had not even thought in that direction, but
0: 140 targets for TJ Hawkinson. Let's get this going.
2: <laughs> yeah, let's go. Uh, Matt Stroup, you heard it here first.
0: <laughs> All right, moving this ahead uh, to our next topic. We're still waiting to find out where Deshaun Watson might go, and Pat, you got into the trenches and wrote an extensive breakdown of 16 potential Watson suitors on Roto world. So check that out. If you haven't already a bunch of great stuff in this breakdown, Pat commentary on the economy, just really, really excellent analysis overall. So it's not just football analysis you're getting, but so we had 16 teams, a countdown from 16 to one. I gotta be honest, my ears really started to perk up at number four on your list, the San Francisco 49ers. So let's start there, Pat, hit us with your thoughts on the Niners as a potential destination for Deshaun Watson.
2: Well, real quick, I'm going to start with the sleeper team. of The the Los Angeles Rams are the sixth most likely team to trade for Deshaun Watson. And I know they already made the Stafford trade, but here's why I think they might also trade for Watson.
1: Uh, (laughs) My column.
2: Yeah, my column. Uh, I mean, Watson would basically, I'm just going to quote like verbatim from my column, he would basically everything Kyle Shanahan has ever dreamed of in a quarterback and like, Kyle Shanahan, someone who made Brian Hoyer watchable with the Browns, who made Matt Ryan an MVP. If he could get someone like Deshaun Watson, you know, as a weapon with both his arm and his legs, uh, you know, a, elite deep passer, something they don't have right now. So the, the 49ers were stuck in like Rams purgatory last year too, where Kyle Shanahan decided the only way he could generate offense was all the dinking and dunking. I mean, so many of the targets were behind the line of scrimmage. They seem over that too. And, I mean, Deshaun Watson could do that if they wanted him to, but that's the thing he can do everything as a quarterback. And he's almost like Drew Brees in the way where he is so explosive deep, but so efficient and avoids turnovers. You know, he did that for a team too that was always trailing in 2020 and still barely ever turned the ball over. And so if Kyle Shanahan could get his hands on a weapon like that, and we know they're going to be interested, or know they're going to at least be in the mix because they were apparently in the Matthew Stafford mix, and I think offering at least their first-round pick And, um, you know, like this, no offense to Jimmy Garoppolo, but they gave it, yeah, the college try with Jimmy Garoppolo, and they know that's not it. They can move on with very little dead money if they cut Jimmy Garoppolo. I I do think the 49ers will make a real run at this, and this could take a long time. I mean, this could take to like before the draft, basically, because the Texans appear committed. uh, Whereas the Lions like announced, like almost literally announced, I think they did literally announce they were going to trade Matthew Stafford. The Texans are taking. The opposite classic track of like insisting Deshaun Watson will be a Texan and like they're going to play hardball. Uh, but I do think the 49ers will be a legitimate suitor uh, for Deshaun Watson.
1: I, I would guess that if Watson lands in San Francisco, Debo Samuel will not have negative air yards in 2021. <laughs> yes, um, yes. You know, <laughs> and oh. <laughs> yeah, that's my bold take for today. But you have Samuel, Ayuk uh, and Kittle as. I mean, an incredible trio for Deshaun Watson if he lands there. With the Texans, you know, obviously Will Fuller was a huge loss for that team and for Watson and and his downfield prowess. But Watson continued to put up uh, really solid fantasy lines after Fuller was out, after he was suspended. Um, So you you give him those three pass catchers, I think it could get kind of silly for the Niners. And then just speaking of the pass catchers themselves, I mean – I would guess that the three of them would have ADPs kind of through the roof at at that point, but it may be uh, warranted, you know, I mean, who's to say it it wouldn't be. So as much as those guys have been unlocked in the past, I'm not saying George Kittle's never been unlocked or even, you know, uh, Ayuk in his rookie year was somehow unlocked by Nick Mullins. Uh, But he could, they could be, you know, further unlocked by, I've said the word unlocked literally 80 times and I can't stop saying it. Um, by by Watson this year. I, for one, would love for him to land there. That, that's
0: my, my preferred spot. I think you guys are honestly overstating a little bit the gap in talent between Nick Mullins and Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I mean, Nick Mullins is electric. Let's not overstate this whole thing. Have you watched the film?
2: I, I've used more than once. Uh, sure, every time it was super ironic. The headline, Mullins Mania Colon. And then, like, throws for three touchdowns and two interceptions against the Dolphins. Yeah. All
0: right. Speaking of the Dolphins, number three on your list, Pat. A lot of indications that they're committed to Tua as their starter, but dot dot dot. You could see a scenario where that's not the case. Hit us with it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, the, the Dolphins are committed to Tua Tagovailoa. It's just this seems, you know, like this is such a rare opportunity. This is like a once in a decade. Uh, type opportunity wait is Deshaun Watson the best quarterback to become available since Peyton Manning I'm not saying there's as amazing as Deshaun Watson is he's not the level of free agent that Peyton Manning was and Peyton though of course coming off the neck but like it, it's not common that a player like this becomes available and you know even though he's supposedly not available so essentially plans could change for the Dolphins because no one he's supposedly the Dolphins are number two on his list like his personal list uh they have the draft picks to do it. They have the cap space to do it. Like, they were a team that went for it last year. They sensed that their window had opened earlier than expected and were aggressive. And I, it does seem like they believe in Tua. I, and the main reason to think they're probably not going to do it still is they, they hired Charlie Fry as their quarterback's coach, who's apparently, like, a Tua, like, confidant, and a member of, like, the Tua inner circle. Uh, so there are signs pointing towards this won't happen But no one has – there's been no reports that, like, it's not going to happen. Like, no one's come out and said, no, like, this is not an option. Like, this isn't being considered, which is kind of telling at this point because, you know, this news cycle has been percolating now for two or three weeks and we haven't gotten even, like, off-the-record denials yet officially uh, from the Dolphins. So you'd have to think, how could they not be considering it, basically, where a player like Deshaun Watson uh, becomes available and just – yet where the dolphins are a team that has been stuck in third and fourth place for basically the entire 21st century. Like they have the defensive base right now. They have the defensive minded head coach holding down that side of the ball. And with this kind of cap space and this kind of like draft picks cash, if they can get Deshaun Watson, even if they love to, uh, I don't think they'll hesitate to do it. It's just a matter of, I guess, if it all comes together. So yeah, We err on the side that this isn't going to happen, but you certainly cannot write this off yet.
0: Stuck in third or fourth place for all of the teens, Pat.
2: Yeah, of course. course. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Uh,
1: I do like when Pat brings historical context to, you know, professional athletic failings uh, and (laughs) mediocrity. Like uh, you had a tweet uh, the other day. Where you talked about something was the worst thing to happen since the since the mid twentieth century. I, I forget what it was. It was something really, really strong and historic. Was it about the MLB playoff
2: teams? It was. I said I think it was the worst sports development of the twenty first century was the MLB expanded playoffs. Denny.
1: Okay. Okay. So it didn't go into the. Okay. I, I I mix the centuries. I tend to do that. Yeah, but I, I do like that. So getting back to Tua. It would require a pretty dramatic about-face uh, by the Dolphins for them to go all-in on Deshaun Watson. I mean, you have the general manager saying, in no uncertain terms, Tua is our guy, starter, something like that. You have Brian Flores committing to him. You know, people are asking Tua about it right now, and he's saying he doesn't know anything about it. You know, he says he doesn't watch TV, which, you know, come on. Um, <laughs> But I mean, are, are you, you know, hermetically sealed uh, in a in a cave? Uh, so I would be borderline stunned if he went to Miami. Now, I, do I think the Dolphins should do that? Yes, I do think the Dolphins should go after Deshaun Watson and give the Texans literally whatever they want for Watson because I think that he would make the Dolphins then a legit Super Bowl contender, just like he would for you know the Niners or or any number of teams. Because they have a lot of, like Pat was saying, a lot of the pieces in place to make that sort of run, maybe two or three year window there. But I don't think that I think that they're very they're going to be very stubborn with Tua, not just here, but you know into the into the future.
2: I think you you lay out a really good case too. This this could be one of those things that's not happening like until it does. And I have I feel like we just haven't heard a definitive the Dolphins are not pursuing Tua, and it just makes so much sense on paper. That I'm going to keep uh, the possibility alive in my head.
0: Teddy Bridgewater made some flat out thrilling plays with his legs this season, and I'm not even kidding, but he's no Deshaun Watson. The Panthers have the number eight overall pick. How realistic do you have this one, Pat?
2: Whereas, like, we don't know if the Dolphins will pursue this. Like, we know for a fact that the Panthers will pursue this. They uh, reports came out Sunday night that they offer the number eight overall pick for Matthew Stafford, so you would have to be assuming that would they'd be more than comfortable with that as a starting point in Deshaun Watson talks, you know, they're now one of the classic sports teams where they have a a hedge fund owner. They're supposedly trying to get like a new age analytics front office talking about how they know that quarterback is like where it begins and ends the NFL. Like, I think they will very, very seriously pursue this. And I think this would be a, a place that the Texans would be very amenable to sending Deshaun Watson, because as I say in the article, like, I mean, this is kind of like more of like a baseball brain thing, but like when you trade away, like your superstar player, a lot of times you want it to be to the other league. And I'm sure they would not mind sending Deshaun Watson to the NFC. So he can only humiliate them once every four years, as opposed to every year or God forbid twice a year if it was in the division. And see, so the Panthers just, they try to present themselves as a modern organization who knows what it's all about. We know what it's all about as quarterback and yeah, if you're going to send the number eight pick for Matthew Stafford, you're certainly going to be making very aggressive offers for Deshaun Watson. So I, I think this one is a live wire that we'll probably hear more about as the weeks go on. I think the Panthers
1: are like a very low key appealing spot for, yes. for Watson to go. Uh, you know, with DJ Moore, with Robbie Anderson and, and with Christian McCaffrey, it's tough to find a better running back and wide receiver trio if that's a thing, uh, um, than then, then what they have in, in Carolina. And Ian Thomas, I'm kidding. But, you know, the, it's it's something that I think would play a factor in maybe Watson's decision. Apparently he holds all the cards here. Um, he can basically handpick where he wants to go. Carolina doesn't seem like a bad place. Like I, I would think that San Francisco would be way, way better than than Carolina. But I think those three players make the Panthers a really – interesting landing spot and the Panthers are in no way committed to Teddy Bridgewater as their 2021 starter you know I think Matt Rule said he's going to have to have an outstanding off season, which is the closest thing that you're going to hear a head coach say to something like it's going to take a miracle for Teddy Bridgewater to be our our starter next year
2: the closest except for what the Rams were saying about Jared Goff uh <laughs> Which was just like, who? who is Jared Goff? Like, why are you asking <laughs> me about this guy? Uh, but yeah, uh, I think we're in alignment that the Panthers will be pursuing this. Yeah,
0: The number one destination on your list is what we've assumed to be the top possible destination for Watson in terms of likelihood. He reportedly likes new Jets head coach Robert Sala. So lay it out for us, Pat. The case once again for the
2: Jets. Yeah, well, the case, I mean, it's weird. I I still don't know if I want to make like a positive case for the New York Jets. And I'm not the first person to make this joke, but do you destroy your organization to such an extent that your best player would maybe force a trade to the New York Jets? And you talk about a crazy modern accomplishment. And, yeah, I just think it's really all about Robert Sala. Like Deshaun Watson seems like, uh, you know, over and over again, he wants to play – with, like, a modern, like, new-age coaching staff. You know, like, the Bill O'Brien was so retrograde, like, such a simplistic – it was a successful offense a lot of the time, but, you know, not, like, anyone's idea of, like, a modern, like, cool, refined offense. We don't know if he'll get that with the Jets, but he seems to be infatuated with Robert Sala, as a lot of players around the league are. Like, he's, like, the guy that players want to play for right now. And so there's that aspect, and then there's, of course, the aspect of the Jets – like, if the Texans decide they have no choice, I mean, the Jets are basically the best place they could match up with. You get the number two overall pick. You don't get Trevor Lawrence, but you get anyone else you want in the draft. You know, there'll be other picks coming. The Jets, even with they get Deshaun Watson in 2021, will probably still be, like, a mid-range pick in 2022. It just makes so much. And, they, too, you get the – The Texans could maybe, they could draft a quarterback, the number two overall pick, and they could probably have Sam Darnold in as a bridge quarterback, you know, see if there's anything left there. And if there's not, just move on easily. So it just seemed like Deshaun Watson and coach would be a perfect match. The Texans and Jets would be a perfect match from a trade compensation standpoint. And, like, if this one is truly going to happen, this will probably be where talks begin and end. Like, you're going to have to beat the New York Jets offer, basically, if this is for real.
1: I find it difficult too to like. I don't know. First of all, get excited about Deshaun Watson going to the Jets. I it's know hard. that. It's hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that Sala is you know brings something new to the organization, but it's still a terrible organization, right? It is. I mean, he? that's not changing. That's not going to change. I, I, I feel like Robert Sala must be the greatest players coach in history already without a single game, in order for Deshaun Watson to choose him over Kyle Shanahan. I don't get it in theory, but, you know, like John McClain uh, yesterday on Twitter, the the Houston Chronicle reporter who covers the Texans was saying, you know, the Texans should start with the Jets. And that seems like where we are headed. Uh, Fantasy wise, I think I mentioned on last week's podcast. I mean, it would be pretty cool for those pass catchers on the Jets to, I'm going to use the word. To be unlocked, um, <laughs> and you know, and that's <laughs> so we have that to look forward to. But overall, this push to get him to the and apparently they're number one on Watson's list. It's a little bit, little bit perplexing to me. And but then I see you know players like Richard Sherman who publicly is saying Watson's got to get to New York, like that's where he should go because of only one thing, and that's Robert Salah. So he must be a hell of a coach. Is all I'm saying.
2: Yeah, and if Deshaun is hearing that in public, you can only imagine, like, the texts he's getting and stuff, like, telling him, like, you want to play for Robert Saw. And if it comes down to the 49ers and the Jets, from a pure career and pure football standpoint, Deshaun Watson should choose uh, the 49ers over the Jets. Uh, But I could also see it becoming, so if both teams are pursuing him really hard, hardcore, the Texans, I mean, they do have still kind of all the leverage. And they're saying... We will only trade you if we can get the number two overall pick in return. Like take it or leave it. I think Deshaun would probably agree to that because of have yeah, the Salah factor. Uh, so yeah, I mean we don't. We've never been in a film session with Robert Salah. We don't know, you know, how players coachy, like how amazing the back slaps are and stuff. But uh, they're apparently amazing. I mean, he has lots
1: of energy. I envy his energy. You know, as as a, as a guy, I'm probably around his age, and you know, he he's he, he's you know, running him. around. Yeah, he's he, he's he's in great shape. You know, he's constantly. I mean, he's sprinting down the sideline on every other play. You know, he maybe maybe that's the appeal. I, I don't mean to talk down Robert Sala. Obviously, he's very accomplished. Uh, but wow, wow, people. I mean, Watson would have to have a lot of trust in him. Is the end of the story there?
0: Before we get out of here, we're going to quickly each hit one wild card potential destination from Pat's column. I'll start it off. Pat at number nine. You wrote Deshaun Watson is from Georgia. The dots connect between the Falcons and Watson. The money does not. Pat, give me something here to hang on to. Give me some, as a Falcons fan, give me some hope here.
2: Well, to get right or technical on you, I said the initial dots connect, Matt. It's like oh. the superficial dots connect, as in Watson is from the state that the Atlanta Falcons play in. Um, but yeah, I mean. Well,
0: I, I'll retake that and say initial. Should I retake yeah. that? <laughs> no, no. The Do initial not it. dots Leave it connect.
2: In. People need to know. Um, people need to know, Matt, but yeah, and uh, I just don't know if the Falcons are, like far enough along in their project, basically. Maybe, maybe they come really hard after Deshaun Watson, he'll start thinking seriously about that. But yeah, you know, they have they've poured resources into their offensive line, it's still not a great offensive line. The defense is kind of anonymous, the offense is kind of aging. That includes Hayden Hurst, who's only in like his third year in the league. Uh, and he's so I, I would not write this one off, but uh. Yeah, I, I think this the the Falcons' fit are probably more superficial than real. Uh, also, of course, because uh, Matt Ryan is uh, still an Atlanta Falcon is probably the biggest stumbling block there. But they would be open to moving on from that. But yeah, I, a lot would need to happen for this one to become serious.
1: I was going to say that the money part of the equation for some of these Watson landing spots or potential landing spots would require Janet Yellen to get involved. And I think that I think the U.S. senators need to start asking Janet Yellen about. How she will get involved in, you know, like you said, Pat, moving pieces of, of the American economy in order for Watson to fit with a team. I think the Falcons are one of those.
0: You got a wild card team for us? A wild card destination, Danny?
1: Yeah, uh, Washington. I'll go with Washington. They're the my home team.
2: The teams.
1: Yes. <laughs> when you say Pat, sorry.
2: I said the footballs, and then I said the teams. I made the yeah, same
1: the football, twice. The football team, just because they're up and coming, they seem to be a team on the rise, you know, they have a, a, a really good defense, really great front, you know, front seven, front four. And they're a quarterback away from being somewhat a, of a contender. I don't know if you can you can say that they would be as serious a contender as, say, Watson in Miami or San Francisco. But I think the appeal of Ron Rivera, the, the appeal of a young core of, uh, you know, McLaurin, Gibson, Logan Thomas, to an extent, I know he's not super young, is somewhat appealing for a guy like Watson who's looking for some stability and an organization that seems to know what it's doing. And I know I'm talking about Washington. I'm talking about Dan Snyder, okay? And, and so that could all fall apart at any moment. I think that that might, play, uh, that might play a factor. I mean, we we had a report from Jay Gruden just this weekend where Jay Gruden said that they would put untold hours and days into evaluating draft picks only for Dan Snyder to step off of his yacht and make the pick himself. So <laughs> with that sort of potential instability, even an up-and-coming team like the football team, it could be a no-go for Watson. But I do think that they realize that they are a quarterback away and that they probably don't want to go into next year with Alex Smith as their unquestioned starter.
2: No. No. And Daniel Snyder is really the only thing like standing between this being like a really serious fit, because this is kind of like the proven version of the jets. Like Ron Rivera is a good players coach. He's, he's, he's a different personality type, but he's known as a player's coach. Uh, he's a head coach who now has a decade of being a defensive minded head coach who handles his business on the side of the ball. And then yes, Washington has much more intriguing young weapons on offense than the jets do. This is that Daniel Snyder factor. Uh, you have to be, Really confident as a player about everything else to force a trade to a team that is owned by Daniel Snyder.
0: All right, Pat, other than the Rams, what's your wildcard destination for Deshaun Watson?
2: Yeah, it was good. It's the team that's in this similar boat to the Rams and the Saints. And in the article, I talked about the Rams and the Saints as two teams that would probably be like desperate to make this happen but like finances and draft pick situation would make it difficult. But then the Rams, you know, went out and immediately proved that teams like this, if they are desperate enough can do it. So I think the saints will think about this, try to at least explore this and that no team has had more success being aggressive and like being creative with the cap and pushing obligations down the road. But a team that they have so many accomplishments in that area, but even for like wizards, like Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis, this is probably just too hard to pull off with their salary cap situation, their low draft pick. But if there's any team that can like pull out a stunner and surprise, like pull a Jason Witten rabbit out of their head for Deshaun Watson, it would be uh, the New Orleans Saints.
0: <laughs> yeah, you wrote that the Saints, quote, would basically need a complete restructuring of the American economy to get Watson in the building. <laughs> I just got laughed kind of at my lot.
2: own joke as you were reading it. But uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Would, it was you know. good. I, I was jealous of, of
1: that. When I read it, I was like, damn, damn Pat. And it's <laughs> his, his incisive commentary on US politics and economics.
2: I know a lot. I'm just a I'm, a, I'm an expert on the economy, guys.
0: All right. That is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. We'll be back later this week with actual Super Bowl talk. We're going to have a full preview of Super Bowl 55. Anything else to promote or mention, guys, before we get out of here?
1: I will have a single game DFS breakdown. Everything that you wanted to know about how to get super galaxy brained for putting together single game DFS stuff for the super bowl. This is our last hit of DFS before next year. Hopefully, hopefully we'll have a preseason, but if not, we're talking about what a six or seven month (laughs) layoff between now and then. So let's go all in on super bowl DFS.
0: Pat, Danny, thanks, guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you later this week for our Super Bowl preview episode.